When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Biggest takeaways from Sunday of week 12. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I've been Gretch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his great work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we just spent quite a bit of time before the show sort of talking through where we're at in our FFPC teams. Pretty excited about a few of them. Our, our best one is in great position, it looks like. We're heading into Sunday Night Football to have, I think we have win-loss locked up and then also total points, which will be great. A couple others that are that are either going to be in their tournaments or fighting to move on or whatever. But an, an exciting sort of final week for the FFPC competitions as we move towards the, the league playoffs next week. Still a couple more weeks for everyone who's, you know, in regular fantasy leagues here, but we are coming down to it. We are finishing up the fantasy regular season, certainly, as we get down towards the end of, of November here. Fun week 12, though. Uh, you know, it was kind of a kind of an up and down sort of day, I think. There was some, like for DFS this week, there was not a lot of plays that like screamed great plays. It was just one of these kind of gross slates. But there were some things that really popped, uh, you know, a couple of the late round running backs especially. You had Leonard Fournette scoring the four touchdowns. You had Cordero Patterson, the, the big early season pickup, having two more himself. Does zero RB work? Well, Ben, I mean, definitely there was some excitement last week about Jonathan Taylor and Austin Eckler with their combined nine touchdowns. Uh, we were very excited about Jonathan Taylor as he is one of our main guys. On the other hand, if you paired that with a late round approach or you just went straight zero rb then our teams with tyreek hill are doing well our team with stefan diggs is like right there at the edge to win total points uh, Devonte adams has come through again and you kind of contrast that with it seems like when you look at the top five picks here we've got christian mccaffrey uh, hasn't scored much this season goes out again today in the carolina panthers bloodbath i mean this this was the end for 2021 carolina panthers they got steamrolled by a rising miami dolphins club today alvin Kamara can't play again this week dalvin cook goes out during the game today derrick henry was having one of the all-time great seasons and so we definitely want to give him credit for that but he has been out and i think especially when you see how many points 
his running back teammate scored today. And if you're a Derrick Henry manager, it's it's kind of a sad day because there were, there were a lot of points out there. Derrick Henry, obviously an unbelievable superstar. And then you look at Ezekiel Elliott, who has sort of climbed through on some touchdown heavy games, but now it sounds like he may sit or at least be marginalized during the fantasy playoffs. You and I kind of had discussed that after the Thanksgiving game there on Friday. So, uh, you know, people say you can't get these running backs late, which you know, we, we go through the history and it's not exactly true and it's not exactly relevant in that you're trying to play this one week at a time. But then would, would you prefer to have Christian McCaffrey or Cordero Patterson and Leonard Fournette today? I mean, or for the season, I mean, for the season, for the season, it's, it, it, it's tough. I mean, we and Fournette obviously is a guy we weren't heavily on and that's a tough one. And it's the thing, too, where even if you're a zero RB manager or like the zero RB uh, sort of. What would you call us? I don't know. Aficionados? Is, uh, I, I think people just call us uh, truthers. Crazy, I think. Okay, I would, crazy. I would prefer. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not going to be on all the guys. And so it is kind of a situation where you can be like, this is one of the greatest years ever for zero RB. And not, not even end up being on the guys yourself, in part because a lot of these players were even less expensive than what we tend to think about. Elijah Mitchell, another big game today. You and I have him on a team with Jonathan Taylor that is looking very, very good. Uh, and then A.J. Dillon does a lot of nice things again today. Man, that guy is really packing a load. And when you see that receiving touchdown, the flexibility there. If you have Dillon or you have Aaron Jones, you're you're looking at that and you're like, these guys should be starters at separate places. They are too good to be sharing a backfield. We're getting a lot of points. And we should give a lot of credit to Leonard Fournette and the Bucks today. Uh, ben, this was a crazy one for me, more than any individual weekend that I can ever remember. Where, Like I said, you and I were in great shape coming in. Our, our was pretty well locked up. I believe I had four main events today where could either end up finishing first or like fifth. And so number one, those teams are doing fairly well. That's exciting. Number two, and you know we've discussed this as well, how fun 2021 has been. I mean, it's got to be one of the all-time great fantasy seasons, right? The fact that it could be that close down the stretch with so many teams, that you could have so many individual uh, groups of players, so many individual constructions, so many ways to do it. I and mean, we're going to come out of this season feeling very good about zero RB. And yet there are going to be people who played it in different ways who come out feeling very good about their seasons too. Sure. Absolutely. I think, and we've broke that down a little bit. I think the biggest thing that, that will probably and, and should be discussed will be the sort of the running back dead zone section of the draft. Um, those middle rounds where there was a lot of receiver upside, which, you know, you have been talking about for years. Certainly I, I've written about that some, and, you know, you see the Cooper Cup, you see the the Debo Samuels, and, and those guys hit in those ranges, and really just no running backs in those ranges perform. It'll be really interesting to see how people respond to that. We might actually start to move towards that a little bit more efficient draft landscape that we've talked about where running backs are still going to always go high, but maybe, uh, maybe you know, maybe I'm I'm just wishing or hoping that people will be a little bit smarter about it, but maybe in 2022 we'll see some running backs falling out of these fourth and fifth and sixth rounds a little bit further. And people understanding that, you know, the types of receivers that were going in the seventh round, you know, the Debo Samuels this year were better picks than a lot of the running backs going in the fourth round. 
uh, straight up. And even if those running backs fell to the seventh round, you should still be taking that receiver. You know, that's, I think, the long-term trend we're moving toward. There was enough discussion of the running back dead zone going into this year that the way that this year played out, I think that might be one of the big takeaways this offseason. But other than that, you know, like you said, there's going to be people who are very content with their running back early approaches. There were enough hits also sort of in the running back dead zone at um, at other positions at tight end, the Mark Andrews of the world. We've been pretty happy with TJ Hawkinson. He hasn't been amazing. Kyle Pitts has been strong. We've gotten, you know, a, more performance out of those mid-round tight ends than we had in, in recent years. I think there's been a few busts in those rounds uh, in, in the past you know, five years. I, I always go back. Historically, yeah, that's been a very weak a spot yeah. for them. And you wanted to wait kind of for your you know, Dawson Knox type of players. Who, yeah. I mean, he had a very I, big game on Thursday. Right. And there are there have been Dalton Schultz, and there have certainly been some later tight ends that have been fantastic this year as well. Yeah, no, I mean it, it'll be it'll be fun. It'll be fun to kind of reflect once we finally get the the end, you know, analysis and all of those things. But well, there's a lot to still happen. I mean, that that's the interesting thing too. Here is the second round. I mean, people talk so much about you know, oh, you know, you shouldn't have drafted those first round wide receivers. People who are sitting on those first round wide receivers are excited, especially if you came back, you know, with a Jonathan Taylor. You know, if you were in a draft where Austin Eckler because he was kind of injured in that last week and dropped into the second round. Or if you hit a Joe Mixon, I was t- talking about you know three big trends uh, that were working against Mixon maintaining his value. He came out today and he's like, uh, no. <laughs> so, I mean, he, he put up some a fantastic game. And unfortunately for us, I think the Bengals are kind of morphing into this elite team and one that doesn't need to be that pass heavy. I was pretty frustrated. So when you're in week 12, right, you're and, and you need very specific things to happen. It's almost like the last five minutes of Monday night football for the whole weekend, where instead of taking a little bit more of a laid back approach, every time the team starts to get down there into the red zone, if you've got a running back, you're like pass interference in the end zone or tackled at the one yard, pass interference in the end zone, tackled at the one yard line. If you've got the wide receivers, you're like, just make the play. When T Higgins, again, it's like, how many times can you go down at the one inch line? He was in on that one, Ben, but obviously they weren't going to have the angle to overturn it, but he was in. I mean, you take that away from him and give it to Vixen. It's just, that was brutal. I don't know how they don't have that angle. Um, that was, uh, you know, very frustrating just from a, from a viewer standpoint, they kept showing all the different vantage points and uh, Zach Taylor was taking it down to the wire. He ends up throwing the, the challenge flag. He, I think he was just hoping to see a good angle and they never did. And he still threw the challenge flag, but they still didn't have a good angle. Well, and I, I think he was, in some ways, trying to trying to show support for Burrow and Higgins because I mean Higgins has had a little bit of a rough go over here. Of course, and and that was at a point where the game was already sort of in hand, and so I, I think that I think you're absolutely right about that. But there wasn't going to be the angle, like you said, for them to be able to make that decision. But Higgins still has a great game. The, the sort of one of the, not not entirely the game we've been hoping for, but you know, in some some elements of it certainly. Six catches, 114 yards, a TD could have been a two touchdown game. Looked very good. Um, they only throw 25 times though. Like you said, Burrow throws for 190 yards. Mixon rushes 28 times for 165, two touchdowns. You get five more carries for Chris Evans, three more for Samaj P. Ryan. They wind up with 38 carries to those 25 pass attempts. That's not going to be great. And really it was, you know, pretty evident right before half they had gotten out to the, the pick six was killer the 24 to three lead. And then, and then Ben Roethlisberger threw 
you know, a Ben Roethlisberger pass. And we got a pick six to make it 31 to three. They had just gotten it to 24 to three. I mean, it was still feeling like, you know, this game had the potential to to have a little back and forth to it. Maybe if the, if the Steelers could get some offense going, but that, that touchdown and the pick six, it was like, oh, okay, well, the Bengals are going to run the whole second half. And that is what we saw. A little bit disappointing there, certainly for Jamar Chase managers and and for Higgins, who was already really crushing to be able to uh, sort of have his big breakout game cut by, by a lack of pass attempts, basically. And Ben, we had talked about how Najee Harris has kind of moved into this range where uh, he's essentially just Leonard Fournette. This week, we we find that it's it's even sort of more dire for that slash better for Fournette, where Najee Harris is Leonard Fournette without the benefit of a good offense. Now, you <laughs> and I have him on our on our best team. We want this not to be the case, but it's moving very quickly in that direction. I mentioned those uh, the way that people are rooting for touchdowns on this week twelve. Have Tom Brady starting in a league that was going to come down to like one or two points. You just know it's going to. When he has that quarterback sneak, doesn't get in, there's a penalty. I was going through it fast. I'm not sure whether or not that would have wiped out the play if he does get in. But then you have the Fournette carry on the next one. You're like, that's a massive swing in the wrong direction there. So Fournette, a lot of nice plays. He gets some carries in close, but he breaks the big play to kind of seal the game. This was one where the Colts look pretty good. Carson Wentz looked pretty good. But they got away from what they do in the third quarter in part because Carson Wentz had a good first half. And so you know this kind of thing can happen. But, you know, I mentioned in tennis from time to time where sometimes the worst thing that can happen is that you're so hot that your shot selection starts to break down because you can feel like you can hit anything. The Colts seem to feel like they could hit anything in the passing game, forgot, or just, you know, we know that it's hard to run against the Buccaneers. But you think of that drive where – Taylor eviscerated them in the fourth quarter, brings them back there. And if you have that throughout the second half, as opposed to that one big drive, then the Colts are in the middle of this massive reality push to the playoffs. And instead it's sort of a heartbreaking loss for them. Yeah. And that came, you know, not long after a Naheem Hines fumble on a punt, which was a pretty big moment as well. Uh, The Colts had gotten a stop after Tampa had scored on the previous two possessions, their first two of the second half. And, you know, the Colts had the halftime lead. Tampa comes out, scores two quick touchdowns in the second half, or not really quick, the, the you know, so somewhat lengthy drives. But they get a stop on that third drive. The Colts had not yet scored in the second half. They get the ball back. Their 24-14 halftime lead was then, at that point, a 28-24 deficit. And Hines, unfortunately, fumbled that punt. It put the Bucs in great field position. The, the Colts were able to hold them to a field goal. It made it 31-24. And then that's when the drive came that you mentioned that, that Jonathan Taylor takes him all the way down the field, 10 plays, 75 yards, really perfectly timed at that point. They're, they're kind of out of the game. They've had three straight possessions to start the second half where they can't do anything. They lose the, the fumble on the punt. And they drive down the score. They tie the game 31-31. But Tampa was able to put the game away on the, on the ensuing drive. Before, although... It was pretty interesting. That last Fournette uh, run, he probably should have went down and set up a game-winning field goal, uh, let the clock run down a little bit. They could have kicked a little chip shot. It really wasn't going to be a huge win probability difference. You know, I, I was joking with some people that you know it's 99% to 99.5%. But the ensuing kickoff after Fournette scores, the Colts almost ran it back. <laughs> and they, they got it all the way into Tampa territory. 
I'm kind of just doing a recap of the game, but it was an exciting game. If they would have ran that back, you, I mean, it would have been very interesting for Fournette that he, you know, just plowed into the end zone for his fourth touchdown as opposed to going down and setting up the game-winning field goal. I think it was like the last guy barely got the got the returner, um, but the Colts did fall ultimately. I was hoping they would pull that one out. Yeah, we're we're on with the Colts there, but that was yeah, like you said, fantastic game. Uh, Rob Gronkowski, huge in fantasy, especially if you get the tight end premium. But he looks back. It's funny because I mean he looks you know, like a retirement home participant out there. And yet it doesn't matter how you look. It matters what you can get done. He was going down the scene, getting open. Those are the passes that Brady is comfortable throwing, very accurate on those, a big game for him. So the Bucks kind of get it turned back in the right direction. And, you know, they'll, they'll be there in the mix with the Arizona Cardinals, who hopefully will come out of the bye healthy. One of the wide receivers we talked about in the past week, Ben, when we are looking at, Players who are on the verge of breaking out, what their receiving profiles are, if they could get some deep shots to sort of add on to what they have going. Jalen Waddell, without Devontae Parker, without Will Fuller in there, the offense is him and teams are struggling to take him away. Now, he's been getting a bunch of short targets. He's been running after the catch okay, but today he broke a couple. He also made a very nice end zone reception, scores the touchdown there. He ends up with a massive game. And if not for Cam Newton being unable to complete any passes to anybody, then maybe you're seeing this kind of 40 point game from Waddle if the Dolphins have to keep going. One of the things that was kind of too bad today is we saw some young receivers break out and didn't need to continue with it because of the game context in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, something we definitely talk about throughout the week. It's something I talk about a lot in instant signals with a lot of these types of games that, you know, it's just, obviously part of football, but one of those things that happens and, and Waddle, yes, looked fantastic again today has a 57 yard catch. Most of that was after the catch, but uh, I think it was you last week on our shows, right? We we're talking a little bit about how Waddle hadn't done a lot down the field yet. We get the big play now instead of, you know, he had this really low yards perception. We know he's an explosive player. And this one was more of like a deep excuse me, like an intermediate crosser, but same, same concept is what you were saying, which is essentially that this guy's explosive. He can have a 57 yard play pretty easily. He showed that. That was pretty exciting. Uh, on the other side, DJ Moore has a 64-yard play. Yeah, you mentioned Newton ends up with – Cam Newton ends up with five completions. He's pulled in the fourth quarter. P.J. Walker adds another five. They have ten for the entire game. So if your Carolina Panthers didn't have as many receptions as you were hoping for, that's a big reason why they only completed ten passes. Uh, Moore had a couple of drops early, or certainly they were they were called drops on the broadcast. One – one, one was pretty bad. One I thought was, you know, pretty, pretty challenging. But he hits on the 64-yard catch not long after that. I was a little bummed about that, though, because he got open and it was underthrown by a couple of steps and it allowed Xavier Howard to basically run past Moore as he slowed down to catch it, which then meant Moore had to try to beat him to the end zone as opposed to if the throw was sort of in stride, Moore could have just outran him to the end zone. He ends up with a 64-yard catch down to the to the red zone. Doesn't get the long TD. He did have you know four catches, 103 yards on the day, but a really poor passing environment for Carolina again. And and that's been a really big story for them all season. It's been unfortunately the big story for DJ Moore all season. Well, then once we come back, we will focus on a more upbeat note on a rookie running back who looks to be 
one of the next stars. I'll be interested to see where he goes in next year's fantasy drafts. He's going to climb up out of the dead zone and into the second round. I think that there's a chance that once everything settles, we'll be looking at him as Antonio Gibson plus a first round pick in 2022 right after the break. NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favorite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. Well, Ben, you were pitching to me before we started that one of the biggest storylines of the day was in Denver where Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon again look good, especially Javante Williams. Now, this one had some a little bit of a hilarious intermission where Drew Locke comes into the game and we once again get a sense of why that will not work. I mean, you have a lot of these guys who are good backups and they have long-term backups seems to be their thing. Drew Locke cannot come in <laughs> and play any snaps on an NFL field because a game that you are dominating will quickly go in the other direction. They move back to Teddy Bridgewater. He hooks up with Javante Williams. We've talked about Williams as having some of the best peripherals, really the best peripherals of any running back in the NFL, which is weird because I know that in some lineups today, I saw he was actually on the bench. And since I needed those teams to win and knock other teams out, that's unfortunate. But you get this the sense of like, how could the guy with the best peripherals in football be on the bench? The Broncos have managed it, but maybe for not that much longer. Yeah, it was interesting, too, because right away in this game, Melvin Gordon, I think it was the first snap, hurt his ankle, and it was like, oh, this is going to be – or his hip. This was going to be the the Javante Williams breakout game. Gordon was able to come back in pretty quickly. He still leads the team with 17 carries. He ran fairly effectively, too, 83 yards, you know, uh, 4.9 yards per carry had you know more per carry even than Williams but man Williams got some tough yards late he looked very explosive had a very nice touchdown run uh, and had a big 42 yard reception he was the guy that Denver went to when they needed a big play throughout this game it seemed like and he just continues to look very good. So a lot better than I mean, it's not really meant to be a knock on Gordon, but a lot better than Gordon, even as even as Gordon has looked good. I I mean, I in looking at the box score, I am a little bit disappointed to see that in this game where they went very run heavy, they had a big lead throughout. They got the pick six somewhat early in the fourth quarter. So not early in the game, but uh I think it was at least 
before. No, it was before. they only had one drive after the pick six. So no, it was not early at all. But they had the lead most uh, most throughout mostly throughout the game, and they were trying to run the ball. Wound up with 33 carries. That Gordon still winds up with more carries. I'm sure when I get a look at the snap counts, we're going to see that it was close to 50-50 again, like it typically has been. But I mean, I I, I don't know what 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 do we say? Like they're I'm with you. I think next year Williams is going to be a pretty clear top top two round pick. You think he's going to be even higher than Antonio Gibson? You said. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Gibson had some of the injury things crop up again that made us question kind of what the role would be if he would be able to emerge as a receiver. Javante Williams is going to be a first round pick next year. I mean, he is that good. And you know, regardless of what your you know your thoughts are and actually how you should approach the first couple of rounds, there's no question the running backs are valued by the community in that range. And if you're going to draft a guy in that range. This is what you want. Now, a little bit of it's going to depend on who their quarterback is. If they have a good quarterback, that increases both the floor and the ceiling quite a bit, right? But you have a guy who does everything you want. He breaks tackles. He's one of the best tackle breakers in the NFL. He was a tackle breaker in college. But that part can get overdrafted. That part can get magnified in a way that doesn't translate into either reality or fantasy football. But he does the other things well as well right which is actually the create yards when he breaks the tackles he's got the explosiveness the tackle breakers like david montgomery don't have and he's got this elite receiving ability so you have one of these guys who's out there creating big plays and just you know tacklers are shedding off of him as if he's a superhero running through the secondary and you look at his age and how these guys sort of transform as they move through. Now, he wasn't the same level of prospect as Jonathan Taylor, but one of the reasons why we're on Jonathan Taylor is because, again, the arc of these guys early in their careers is something that you can more or less count on if the people don't get hurt. Now, one of the things that always comes in and does create some hiccups for some people is that if someone's playing 80%, they're not going to be able to do the same thing. So that's one of the things we've seen with Gibson this year. And I don't think that Gibson is the level of talent of a Javante Williams by any stretch. But he would be doing more if, you know, if he weren't playing at 80%, right? If you get knocked out completely. And one of the things that we've seen with the first round running backs this season is that just so many of them end up getting wiped out and miss a big chunk of the year. But if he's able to go, I mean, his upside next season is into that range where it's justifiable to pick him there. We talked about how when Harris fell to us in sort of early mid round two, that we could project his workload, his rush EP, his receive EP into this double digit in both category type of range that we didn't actually need efficiency from him to justify that kind of a pick. Williams, I mean, unless there's a, a reason to believe that a secondary back is going to steal a huge chunk like Gibson, like Gordon has done this year, then we're going to be able to project probably not the double digit receiving EP, but an overall total expected points workload that puts him into this range that then if you outperform, one of the things that I still think is going to make him acquirable in the offseason at prices that are expensive, but still leave you some room to win the trade. It's just, he's been pretty unlucky from a touchdown perspective, right? If you look at what he's actually done on the field this year and contrast that to the number of points he scored, there's a big gap. Now, fantasy managers, fantasy participants are very, very savvy at this point. I don't think that that's going to cause nearly as big of a discount for his price as we would have seen, you know, even two years ago, but definitely five years ago, something like that. But I mean, he's going to be a guy who in redraft in dynasty 
really as a focal point for fantasy seasons in the years to come. Yeah, and it's just been super exciting to see that. You know, very young, as you know, age 21, and we're going to have a lot to look forward to there, especially if the Broncos are able to land sort of a high-profile quarterback and make this offense look quite a bit more exciting. I mean, with the receiving weapons that they have and with Williams as a lead back going forward, this could pretty quickly next year be, you know, an offensive juggernaut in a way that can really boost what a running back can do. So a lot of optimism to look forward to there. What else did we see today? Well, Ben, what do you think from the Chargers perspective? Because if you're the Chargers, and and we know that this is kind of what they do, and they've still been good, but so-so. I mean, they lose a lot of ground on the Chiefs by losing this game. If you hold down Jerry Judy, if you hold down Cortland Sutton, if you hold down Noah Fant, and you're still not even in the game, uh, this has to be a pretty big disappointment for Justin Herbert in terms of, of what he did today. Yeah, and really, I mean, they got the late touchdown on a third down where Herbert just sort of threw it up into a, a pile of bodies and, and Jared Cook jumps up and comes down with like a 20-yard Hail Mary. I mean, it was sort of absurd. Uh, but the the interception touchdown wasn't on him. It was right through the hands of someone. I can't remember. Austin Eckler, yeah. It was through Eckler's hands. But he did have an earlier pick that wasn't great. Yeah, I mean, I, I it, it, it was tough to, to understand, I guess, again, uh, with Herbert. He's been sort of up and down, had a really good game. In week 11, I think in here in week 12, it was tough for him to get the ball down the field. That's something we've seen for a lot of these vertical passers with the two deep shells and all these things. I'm expecting, you know, obviously just watching the game live, you don't have a great feel for that, but I'm expecting to kind of get some some analysis from this game that says that, that they had to take a lot of throws underneath. Keenan Allen, again, 10 targets, catches seven passes. Eckler, eight targets, catches six. Mike Williams has eight, gets a couple of deep shots, but only catches four for 39 yards. I mean, he wasn't catching the downfield ones. He made a beautiful play where, I mean, offensive pass interference where he doesn't even touch the defender. That was a terrible call. Yes, that was he, he went up and got uh, about a 20, 25-yard catch uh, and got called for an OPI, that biggest phantom OPI I've seen in a while. But, yeah, I mean, certainly something where – the Chargers want to be vertical. It's it's sort of interesting because their defense is the one that's sort of credited and, and Staley's the one that's sort of credited with being somewhat of the catalyst for this bend-don't-break defensive style that's that's been a big part of the 2021 NFL season. Uh, early in the year, the Chargers were not letting anyone throw downfield on them, allowing everyone to run on them. They still are. They, they I think they lead the NFL in rushing yards allowed, or they did heading into this week. Uh, and, and very efficient and, and a lot of rush attempts against them because they, they just don't get out of their, their deep shell. They just let you run. They, they ask you to run. But now teams are doing that to their offense, and, and Herbert's having a really hard time consistently moving the ball, which is you know sort of, I think, hard to explain when you do have Keenan Allen, you do have Austin Eckler, you have two players that should be able to punish defenses for sitting back when, when you hit them underneath and they're able to do a lot in the short area of the field. Do you have any big, like, strong conclusions? Just I think that the Denver Broncos do have a good defense, and we saw them do this to the Dallas Cowboys. And the question was, you know, what's wrong with the Cowboys? It just these AFC West teams outside of the Chiefs don't have the quarterback play to bring the consistency that you might expect from good teams. We now have, I mean, we have four good teams in the AFC West, and some of these matchups 
are going to go a little bit against what we would expect. You mentioned that it should be a game where they would take advantage. And I think that even more than Herbert, maybe you have to be disappointed if you're the Chargers coaching staff that Eckler didn't play a little bit better. Uh, he was out on some key plays in this game. Joshua Kelly actually made a sort of a, a fun play. Now, Eckler, again, showed why he is, especially when Christian McCaffrey can't really play, I mean, why maybe Eckler is the best back in the NFL overall when he makes that receiving touchdown today. A beautiful play, kind of redeems his fantasy day. Also a big game for them from a reality perspective. But, well, I said, you know, best running back overall. I mean, he's, he's quite a bit back of those top guys as a runner, which was one of the reasons why we felt like in the first round, probably not the right move. Now the fantasy points have been there. He's definitely justified that. Um, Keenan Allen didn't have the underneath dominance that we would like to see. And it's one of the, something that you've been concerned about sort of throughout the season. And we saw today that if you can take away Williams on those deep shots, they don't have enough other guys. And one of the things that'll be kind of interesting to see how some of the teams react to what defenses are doing this year is kind of this thing of continuing to load up with the receivers. So I think you need three guys. I just, that's the way I would put my teams together. You look at what the Bengals have. They've been frustrating because those three guys are not hitting in the same games. Burrow's not putting up big numbers, but you can tell that it's difficult the for defenses to. Yeah. The, the box would be the one that I would point out as well. Early in the season, Brady really was rolling because he had four guys who could win in, in, in the right coverage. And as Antonio Brown and Gronk have been injured, it's been a little tougher for them. They've, you know, defenses have been able to sort of take away their two main guys and force them to try to find other things in their passing game. It's tough. Uh, I, I completely agree with you, though. Yeah, I mean, the Bengals are a great example. The, the Cowboys, especially when Schultz is rolling, are a great example of when you get that depth and you have the third and fourth guys that can win. That that That's when teams can't just take away certain things and, and make it this challenging. Yeah, and that's been the issue for the Chiefs and the Bills, I think, is that when you do, even though, I mean, Hill and Diggs have come through in a very nice way for fantasy managers, but when you limit them even to the extent that they have been, and then you have guys like Emmanuel Sanders and Demarcus Robinson as your other guys, when you have someone like Cole Beasley that you're relying upon. Now, the Bills have have had some success kind of moving Gabriel Davis back into there. We'll see if the Chiefs are ever, ever able to develop a third guy. But when you look at the, the Bengals, and once they have that offensive line there, and it's kind of been a process, you have to – they were very slow in turning it around under Zach Taylor, but they stuck with him. And now this team looks like it's another draft, another couple of savvy free agent signings away from being maybe the AFC powerhouse. Now we still have some questions about if Burrow can really do that, but he played nicely today. Ben, did you have any, any thoughts on Jets Texans? There was a game played there yeah, I mean, I played it at DFS. That's how gross of a week it was. I played some Tyron Taylor. I mean, Zach Wilson, again, looked really poor. And it's, it's you know, sad, I guess. I, I don't know, uh, a bummer. But I will say that I, I mean, I, I don't want to get into where I'm becoming a Zach Wilson apologist. I have enough Justin Fields apologist credentials to to, to work off. But I, I, I like that he stays aggressive, I guess. He seems like, I don't know, he seems like the type of quarterback that is willing to continue to take chances. I, he's got a long way to go, I think. Does he look any worse than Trevor Lawrence, though? Right. And it's, it's, that's sort of what I'm thinking in my head is like, as I watch him, everyone's convinced that he's a bust already. 
he only had like the six starts, and then I think this is his seventh, if I'm not mistaken. He came from BYU, where he got it was a big thing during the draft process. He got in, incredible protection throughout, threw out of a lot of clean pockets, played obviously against some weaker defenses, you know, didn't play against the highest of level of competition. And you jump immediately to the NFL and you're starting from week one. I don't think anyone really expected him to be elite right away. We have been spoiled a little bit with guys like Herbert and some of those guys that have come out and, and done very well right from the start. But even some of those guys have hit now some stumbles in their first couple of years, right? We've been talking about that. It's been a tough year for a lot of quarterbacks this year. He's got a long way to go. I, I really do think that. But I I mean, I think there's there's I don't know. I'm not writing Zach Wilson off yet. I'll say that. Well, one of the things that you do hear from people who, I mean, Superflex is big now and has gotten so much popularity in the last couple of years. And we have this you know, season last year where Burrow and Herbert both play well. And I think people were very surprised by how good Herbert was, sort of discounting the athleticism and the canon a little bit and giving credit to some of these other players who had more elite weapons around them maybe emerge later, whereas Herbert was someone who emerged right away, has the athleticism, has the arm strength, but maybe didn't have the system and the structure, all that kind of thing. But we also know that it's just, it's tough to project some of these quarterbacks, right? People who have been playing super flex big for, you know, six, seven, eight years will remind you that QB hit rates are not very good. And so when you're taking some of those picks early, you are taking some risk. It's one of the reasons why if you're in a super flex startup, it, there's a lot to be said for just anchoring your team. So you don't have to be in that lottery every year, kind of in the draft, but you mentioned how some of these guys are struggling. Some of these guys are also emerging a little bit. We saw a very good game from Tua today and he's someone who a lot of people have written off and probably actually has to have a pretty good finish to the season to be the Dolphins quarterback of the future. I mean, he's still in that range. The thing that I saw today with Wilson was Number one, there are a lot of throws where you're like, I mean, you got to dial it back. You've got to figure out where you're going with it. At the same time, the arm strength is there. I mean, there just there aren't a ton of quarterbacks on the NFL who have that much arm strength. He's got mobility. You look at a few of the plays they could have made in this game, and probably a lot of people weren't playing him, and so weren't watching this game that closely. But he had Elijah Moore for a touchdown early. A guy came unblocked and. You know, you're going to have to let the guy run the route. I mean, Elijah Moore was going to win even after stumbling. He was going to be wide open down at the edge. Wilson was going to be able to fire his cannon over there. Now, whether or not it's an accurate throw and they would have scored the touchdown is a separate question. But because they blew the blocking scheme, he gets a sack. And because Moore stumbled. I mean, to be fair, we, we love Moore, but he, he ran the little in and out whip route. And it would have been really nice if he... He's a quick guy. He, he can make that without stumbling. <laughs> but as he was stumbling, Zach Wilson is getting tagged. <laughs> right, so, right. But uh, And then he has the play a little bit later where Ryan Griffin is running open all along the back of the end zone. And, yeah, it's not a perfect pass, but that pass is there and it is dropped. Yeah, it was pretty catchable. If you're an NFL tight end, you have to make that catch in the end zone uncovered. I mean, it's a tip, it's a tricky catch, but there's no defensive coverage on you at the same time. And in one of the situations, you've got to actually play through the defender as well. You've got yeah. to catch that ball. One of the things that I think the, the broadcast kind of failed to note, they sort of said that it was underthrown. It, it did kind of, it, it came in low, certainly. Um, but Griffin was running along the back of the end zone and was like, potentially, even if he catches it out of bounds, like he didn't really have great positioning in my opinion, like, 
he, I think he was probably still in, but he was right at the very back of the end zone and sort of falling backward as he was making that play. You can't go out of bounds, right? So, like, in some respects, it's like Wilson is throwing this knowing where the back of the end zone is. You you need to be working, you know, you're working across, but you don't need to be falling back out of bounds to make this play. You need to be working back towards the ball. I think, you know, Griffin did not make a very good play on the ball. And then due to a penalty, they do get us a shot there to have him actually score a rushing touchdown, which, again, a little bit like with Daniel Jones and – the Giants have to be excited, even though they don't basically score any points today. They're able to come away with the victory over the Eagles. But even some of these guys who are kind of right there borderline, there is a value to having the athleticism that at least keeps you in the conversation. If Daniel Jones weren't so athletic, I mean, he would be done, right? Because he has just not shown much of anything. As a passer, he has a lot of these big running plays. He can run these option plays pick up first downs those things are kind of keeping him in the conversation now he probably also needs to have a fast finish to the season to not be in a position where he ends up as a career backup but the athleticism is keeping him in the discussion wilson on his rushing touchdown again there aren't that many sort of pocket pasture i mean he's he's not going to be lamar jackson he's not going to be one of those types of players but out of the guys who are thought of more as passers very few of them could have scored that rushing touchdown yeah, that was a nice play. Laid out to get to the goal line. It looked like he might have been down. The replay showed that he did a very good job of keeping his knees off the turf and extending and, and getting the ball across. It was very well done. I got a question for you. You're way better than me with dynasty trade values. Is he a is he a buy low right now? Is he somebody that you'd give up like a maybe say a future, probably a later second? I mean, I I, I would have to think that people who took him maybe in the he was more like a later first this year. He was not typically a top five pick unless your league goes really QB heavy. It's maybe like the eighth or ninth pick in in Superflex drafts this year. I would think that some people who drafted him think they wasted a first-round pick and might be willing already to move him for like a late second right now. Is that something that you would do to try to grab a young quarterback? Is he like a a legitimate buy low? Because I think a lot of people love to talk about buy lows that no one's actually selling low. Yeah, I don't think you could probably get him for that because the people who – who did draft him. I mean, they've got to find out they can't afford to have that be a bust, especially at that position where, you know, if you then go back in the next year's draft, we know that the perception, at least right now is that it's lacking in impact QBs. And so if you missed on Wilson, I mean, you, you may be stuck now with even just getting to your two QBs or certainly you're stuck with your QB depth a little bit and you need someone who can, give you some value next year. So I'm sure there'll be some offers out there. I think it's a little bit more probably in the range where maybe he drops back three or four slots. And so if you have a second round pick, would you trade for him for an early second? That's again, going to depend a lot on, on where you are, you and I, and we talked a lot this off season about kind of setting up for the long haul. And so uh, you and I have a lot of picks. The teams I have with Monty and Blair did a similar thing. have a lot of picks if you've got multiple first round picks and then say four or five second round picks, I think you definitely have to get out there and try and pick these guys up. Now the trade deadline just passed in a lot of formats, but also that is going to open up again in, in a many formats you know, as soon as the season ends. And so that time period actually is interesting because we do tend to have a month to two months and we'll have a lot of you know fun ceiling band shows for you kind of in that range. Um, where the new values haven't set. And so if you can be active then where most people are kind of taking a break, then you can shuffle your team around in a way where you get some very good values, I think. 
Yeah, that sounds great. I think probably probably you're right that you couldn't get Wilson for like a, a mid to later second. But I bet you there are some people out there who took him sort of begrudgingly as the later. I know I took him in a super flex and I was not, not particularly high on him. And I'm I, I'm looking at him on, on that roster and I'm like, I wish I wouldn't have taken Zach Wilson. I wish I would have taken one of the, you know, Jalen Waddle or one of the, the, the high end receivers that I could have got. If someone came along and said, look, you can start over next year with a second round pick instead of this late first that you used on him. Sean, I might think about it. I might think about it, Sean. And there's people that are crazier than me. So the moral of the story here is send your trades to Ben. He does want to sell his Wilson shares. Well, Ben, we probably need to wrap it about there today. We'll get out and watch some of the Sunday night football, see if our teams are able to make it through. I just wanted to let the listeners know we've had such a great time with you all doing the three shows a week in season, doing these Sunday night shows together. And I mean, there's nothing better than getting to chat with Ben uh, after a full day of watching football. Uh, one of the reasons we mentioned subscribing to the feed, we are going to make some slight changes to the tempo of the releases for December. Instead of doing sort of a show Sunday night where we talk a lot about the games, we're going to incorporate that into some of the shows later in the week. We'll be doing two shows a week for a while here. And Ben, we're going to go back to also discussing some sort of big picture topics. We love to go through those. Now, those are obviously coming. We talk about those quite a bit on Fridays, but you and I want to go through structure and structure in some different formats. So uh, if you've had bad luck, and bad luck happens to all of us, I mean, everybody can pick out a team where you know four or five of their key players were injured, if that's kind of your main team, and 2021 has been disappointing, and you're no longer really excited about hearing about fantasy football from that perspective, never fear. We're going to be talking about dynasty. We're going to be talking about uh, prospects and how to go about getting ready to do your rookie drafts, do your prospect research, those types of things. We will be talking about Dynasty. And also, Ben, there's going to be plenty more from Ceiling Signals with these two shows that we do. So we'll get lots of stats from your pieces, lots of stats from the Zero Reverse. We're not going to change away from that, but we're going to broaden out again and uh, really explore a lot of fun different types of topics. So if that's the kind of thing that you're interested in, you'll be getting a lot of that from us in December. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yep, that'll be great. Uh, we're kind of heading towards obviously the end of the season here in December and January. It's kind of the kind of a quieter time for anyone um, who isn't aware, but for those of us in the content industry, a little bit of a quieter time. Uh, you know, as people's teams, you, you know, we we hope that all of our listeners obviously are, are going to be competing for winning championships, but certainly the season is starting to wind down. So we're going to be doing the the two episodes be a little bit more focused every week. Really excited to um, just dig in on Wednesday with our biggest takeaways after, you know, we've already done all the research as well. So um, should be a fun time uh, going forward and we'll still have two episodes every week. Plenty to talk about as always. Good luck everybody tonight. And as you're listening to this on Monday, good luck on Monday Night Football. If Week 12 is your final week, then we hope that you were able to make it through. If you got a couple more weeks, then good luck with those. I'm sure that many of you are cruising toward the bye and will be in great shape to just win a couple of games to win your fantasy title. As always, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards per Gretchen. Subscribe to the fantastic Stealing Signals newsletter. If you want a 10% discount to Rotoviz, now is a great time to buy because you get the coverage all the way through this time next year and you get that great discount as a loyal Rotoviz radio listener. Use the coupon code RBRadio2021 
We will be releasing shows at some different times over the next month. Make sure you subscribe to the feed to get those when they come out. Uh, If you're interested, leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. That does a lot for us, and we really appreciate all the great feedback that we've gotten. We'll see you guys again soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.